Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cloud Architects podcast. We are live from Microsoft Ignite, and it has been an amazing week so far. It is Wednesday, and I'm tired. <laughs> I'll raise my hand for that. Everyone's tired. Yeah, <laughs> everyone. The, the, we have coffee on. There's there's coffee on the on the uh, on the desk here, just yeah. because that is what keeps us going right now. Mm. That's right. That's Caffeinated right. beverages. Indeed, indeed. I'm Chris Goosen. Welcome to the show. Here with Warren. Hi. <laughs> See what I mean about tired and Nick. He's Hi. the one that doesn't have coffee. Jeez. Yeah, actually, yes, he doesn't have coffee. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of coffee up until now. And so it's only it's not even ten AM. Not even ten AM. So uh and Nick's here too, as you can as you can hear, and we have a very special guest today. We're very, very excited to talk uh to uh Justin Harris. Justin, welcome. And uh do you wanna introduce yourself and, and tell our lovely audience what you what you do? Sure, absolutely. I'm the chief technology officer for Enal Software. We're a uh, Office three sixty five management vendor that uh is pretty unique because it was actually founded by an exchange consultant. It was really kind of driven on solving problems that customers have from a consultant's point of view. So our solutions help organizations detect outages, validate end user experience, which you know, as we'll talk about is really critical once you start talking about cloud technologies, uh, and then ultimately control costs. Uh, I've got to say I love this because you know, coming from the native ecosystem, when you have a vendor such as yourselves, you know, people will say, really, I need a vendor to do anything because, you know, the cloud's perfect. Yep. The cloud's perfect. I don't need to back it up. I don't need to monitor it. It just works. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm even here, Nick, right? <laughs> I mean, it's Short Office episode. 365 is the cloud. You don't <laughs> have to monitor anything. You're done. Yeah. That's what you're paying for. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's one of the things we, we kind of want to talk about and dispel, right, that, that myth of... I've moved to the cloud, I've handed all my problems to Microsoft, and now I can just wash my hands and walk away, right? Because we know that there's a little bit more to it than that. But surely that's what I pay for, Chris. Well, let's, I mean, you know. So, uh, and that's what we're going to unpack, right? That's what we're going to unpack today. And so the technology is only as good as the people using it. Yes. You see what I did yes, there? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so often we have this thing, and, and I've explored this a number of times this week, that technology isn't your process. Right, But what we don't want, and I'm not saying that you do this, Justin, what we don't want is a vendor that bashes Microsoft and does the FUD thing. You know, ooh, you need another layer on top of something because just in case Microsoft goes down, right? What's FUD? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Huh. That's a new one. Well, it's very different for product in and itself, a, a software solution, to deliver new ways of working, right? So there, there's always a whether it's a cloud solution, it's you know good old exchange on-prem, there's always a human component that has to be involved. All right. So 
should we start with I'm on premises since a lot of us have an exchange background. So I'm on premises. I'm going to go to Office 365. I start with identity, then I move mail. And um, tell me again why I need you, Justin. <laughs> Ask me at the end of the podcast. <laughs> no, but let's, let's so let's look at this historically, right? I think um, monitoring is something that has come a long way over the last few years, right? So when we first started this, started out with that whole thing of let's monitor. The, the, the mail system, what did we do? We looked at the server and we were like, okay, well, do you have disk and CPU? And if there's an yes. issue with that, then give me an alert, right? And then and, and over time, we kind of moved to this service monitoring concept where we're like, okay, well, let's not look at the individual exchange servers within the, the service. We monitor the service as a whole. And if we have a challenge with that, alert us that potentially we're not providing the best service to our, to our clients, right? Then the cloud came along and things have gotten a little bit muddy since then because I think a lot of folks, as we, as we said in the intro here, don't quite understand why or if they should or if they shouldn't even pay attention to that mm. type of thing. I mean, you have, a, you have the uh, service dashboard in Office 365 and it, it tells you when there's a problem, right? And, and that problem may or may not be affecting your specific tenant. So I think, you know, this, this is a, a complicated topic, but I think that we, if we unpack it, the next evolution, if you will, of, of, of service monitoring and monitoring user experience and stuff. And, and obviously now we have, we have the expert here who's going to kind of help us break this down a little bit. I, I really look at it uh, with the customers that I talk to, I, I can break them down into two separate buckets. Uh, it, it, if you kind of look at the, the customer life cycle uh, based on what you were saying, that first bucket is we're just starting to move to the cloud we have a million dollar single plane of glass monitoring solution that's been here for 20 years. We don't know what we don't know. And this decision was made by the business for cost and efficiency, right? Uh, and, and at that point, they're essentially looking at how their mindset is, how do I retrofit what I did here and overlay it here in the cloud? And that ultimately, the, the question stems, well, isn't, that what we're paying Microsoft to do? We don't have to do that. Then you have customers that have been in the cloud for years. They have already kind of went through the bumps and bruises. They know what works. And now it's this discussion of how do we unlock value, additional value? And inevitably, that question is always triggered by, at least from what I've seen, where the enterprise agreement is coming up for renewal. And someone in finance, asset management, procurement, looks at the, the, the millions of dollars that the EA agreement's costing. Yep. They see these thousands of E5s and E3s, and they ask a simple question to IT, to submit a ticket, what am I getting for this? IT is like, I, I don't know, we, we just, you bought them, we're just assigning them to, to, to users. And, and that starts the conversation, that's kind of the triggering event of what are we getting for this? Mm. You know, uh, how, do we, how do we take this spend and maximize the value of the modern workplace to drive additional desirable business outcomes that the company has? How do we enable these users to, to work in different ways? Um, I've seen that IT traditionally struggles to get a seat at the table, right? And when everything was on-prem, they were monitoring the TIN in the data center, mm -hmm. and that was something quantifiable to say, hey, 
the, the SLA for this service was 99.99 for the hardware and the software you know, for the service. And they were monitoring it back then because if there was an outage, they needed to get someone out of bed to go and fix the outage, yeah. right? If, the, yeah. if a hard drive blew in the server, you needed to get someone into your data center to, f to, to go and change that hard drive. So within the Microsoft service now, obviously that's no longer the customer's responsibility, but the last thing you want is your C-suite giving you a call to say, hey, I can't get into my mail, right? Or right. I can't log into Teams or, or whatever the case may be. So, <laughs> excuse me. So there's the value of what am I getting out of this, but then there's also that, how do I make sure that I can be proactive in alerting my users, alerting my people who matter, the people who depend on the service, that there's a potential problem. And, and that's, that's the quandary for IT at the business level. Once you move to the cloud, how do you quantify the value that you're providing to the organization? Like before, you, you were, you had to keep the lights on in the data center, to, to your point. Now when the execs mailboxes are in the cloud, how do you quantify and say, I did a great job, our team is killing it. You know, we're adding value to the company. That's, that's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Now you start looking at how do we empower users to leverage this technology that we manage to get business done faster. And then how do we quantify that? And that now that's the value as IT that we're providing. And, and that means that you have a responsibility to understand the visibility of the landscape from the cloud perspective of what's being used, when is it being used, when there's a problem. You know, one of the distinctive competencies that Microsoft has over G Suite, for instance, is the hybrid model, mm -hmm. right? You, as a large organization, you're never getting rid of all your Exchange and SharePoint servers, at least in, in the short term. A and that's a great value because now I can move the 90% of the services that are easy to the cloud, those 10% that we know nothing about, that's going to take a lot of time to, to figure out and, and rebuild and move, we can just leave there and create a hybrid connection and life is good. But now that it introduces the complexity of when there's an issue, is it a me problem? Is it a Microsoft problem? Where is the problem? And being able to quickly triage that, uh, that, that mean time to detection is definitely something that you're still on the hook for from an IT organization, whether you're using Office 365, Salesforce, or you know, any other SaaS application. So are you saying that the value is in being able to understand and detect the service levels that are being offered by your cloud provider and being able to report on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we kind of open up with the, the desired outcome, I administrators that were used to having that end-to-end -end visibility into the TIN in the data center, they want that same visibility in the cloud. Hmm. And what that actually translates to is, I want to know the end user experience and how, they're how well they're consuming that uh, platform, uh, whether it be speed of connectivity, latency, are they even using it at all times? And I want to know if there's an issue before my end users call into the help desk, yes. right? I need to be proactive and manage the situation. But the current situation is th that these customers that are pivoting to the cloud, they think that that million dollar single pane of glass that they had, that level of visibility where they could see the IOPS of Exchange, yes. 
they don't have that. And as soon as there's an outage, and I like to bring up the outage last year the, with the Azure AD outage. Yes, data center in Texas, hit by lightning. San Antonio yeah. goes yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, that really highlighted that just how everything is, it's a carefully orchestrated, connected series mm. of different workloads mm. that it may look like you're having a Teams issue or a Power BI issue, it's really Azure AD, yeah. right? And from an end user, you would never know that, right? So your job from IT is to quickly gain that visibility and set expectations with your business and your end, community, end user community to say, this is what we're seeing, this is when it happened, and most importantly, this is who in the company is impacted. Uh, and you know that resolution is that kind of that that visibility and that single pane of glass to know at the heart is it a me problem or is it a Microsoft problem? I like that you gave us those two scenarios that I start with this million dollar on-premises monitoring thing that can diagnose my performance issue down to the individual spindle, mm -hmm. and if I have an issue and say I have a hard drive failure, I. I can see the red light on the hard drive, I can pull the drive, I can do something about it. What are my options if something goes down in cloud and a service fails? I know that the service fails, but how am I not, how am I more empowered by being able to monitor cloud? Because to be fair, I could argue, well, it's broken and I've got no options. So how do you know, I, the, the, that comes up all the time and that really fall, that's a question that those customers that are just starting their journey, they always ask, right? And, and that's something that IT has to answer. Uh, so my question back to you is when that happens, how do you know that it's Microsoft? How do you know it's not network connectivity to one of your remote sites is having latency issues? How do you know that you don't, don't laugh that there's plenty of customers that I've talked to that, that this has happened, that a certificate is inspired on an ADFS server. Yeah, right. Yeah, that never happens. Never happens. Uh, you know, certificates are a four-letter word, but that does happen, and, and you know that is kind of the beauty of the Microsoft solution is that you have the ability to connect and have one foot in prem, one foot in the cloud, so you have this beautiful, better together story. But from an IT perspective, sometimes just simply understanding: is it my problem or is it Microsoft problem? is the first step. If it's Microsoft's problem, then you need to understand who's impacted. Mm -hmm. Because based on region, you know, if it's, if it's a, very rarely is it a straight, complete outage. You know, the, the things that would keep me up a, at night in my previous life a, as an exchange consultant wasn't that a database couldn't mount. It was the pop-up in Outlook, like the slow performance, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Those things that it, was a needle in the haystack to kind of figure out, you didn't do it all the time, and it was a tough problem to solve. Mm. That happens. You know, in, in a cloud world, it, it, it's very much about the network and the end user experience. So being able to quantify, is it my network issue? You know, is it a latency issue? If it's a latency issue, where are we seeing the latency? Mm. Is it leaving our networks and our perimeter you know, correctly? Uh, you have to triage that. And in some cases, uh, customers uh, using kind of end user experience monitoring approaches are able to say, okay, our US-based customers are having service degradation, our European customers, everything's working fine. 
again, that's the expectation. That's setting expectation to the business and getting in front of it because Microsoft provides you the service health dashboard. In theory, that's great. But what we see actually happen is that one, it's not tenant specific unless you use the API and, and customers aren't. You have to have elevated permissions to actually see it. And Microsoft is managing such a large service that while you may see an issue quickly, they may be triaging it or it may not be that widespread of an issue to them looking at it from a 10,000 foot view. So it may not make it to the service health dashboard, that advisory, as quickly as you would like. So you know, what we typically see customers do is go to Twitter, yes. right? Yes. So Twitter, down detector, you know, mm. the, the kind of the, the, the social presence speaks the truth. Because also, the, I mean, the other challenge is, right, if we take the San Antonio outage again, which is, it's just the most perfect example of how things can go wrong. If you are, have multi-factor authentication enabled on your admin accounts, which you should be. Which you should. Yes. Please go and do that now if you haven't done it. Um, and you cannot log in to the admin center because the MFA service is down, you can't see the service health dashboard, right? So there's this very weird chicken and egg situation that comes on uh, or comes up with, with, well, I'm trying to detect an outage, but the thing, the outage is preventing me from being able to detect the outage, mm. right? It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating problem. The other point I wanted to make here is, is, is that when we look at these monitoring solutions, we're also seeing this trend of OCM slash communication, so organizational change management is becoming, I think, more mature and more widespread in many organizations, right? In the past, I think, you know, we can all agree or all attest to at least um, use blast users with an email when you're going to make some sort of fundamental change, right? And you hope they read it. And you hope they read it. Today, we kind of have to help users along the journey because we're throwing significantly more change at them significantly more often. And so OCM is, is really something that is developing, I think, at a rapid rate in many, in many companies. And you know, we, 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 uh, we've had Tracy on the show to talk about adoption versus consumption and all of that. And we'll break into that a little bit later on as well, I'm sure. Um, but we have to be able to empower the folks who are sending out the communications in some way. And where do we get that information from, mm. right? We have to have some sort of visibility of the service to be able to say, hey, we've noticed today that, you know, to Justin's point, North American users are having a hard time logging into XYZ service or multi-factor isn't working for a large subset of our employees so that you're able to actually take that information and then communicate it down to the business so that you don't get woken up. I don't know about you guys, but when my, when my phone rings and it's my boss... I always just assume I've done something wrong. Yes. <laughs> Most yeah. of the time I haven't, but you always have to assume the worst. Does that happen and often, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's a different episode. <laughs> but but the, the point I'm trying to make here is, is that no one, no, none of us want our uh, director-level, C-level folks calling us to yes. inform us of a problem. We want to be the ones informing them of, this is the problem we've identified, and this is what we are doing to either manage it or correct it, right? That goes back to IT struggling to get a seat at the table and providing value and quantifying, right? When it was on-prem, it was easy, you knew. Hmm. And then to your point with the cloud, you just like the end users, kind of with the modern workplace story, the end users are, are unlocked to get work done in a different way, right? N new ways of working to be productive. IT is in that same exact boat with, from an administration perspective. There's still work to do, 
but there's new ways to manage it. And, and, you know, I would say that the struggle has been with IT getting kind of backing into the, the realization that now they're change agents. Now it's not a draconian, you're going to use Exchange and your mailbox is going to be this size. Now it's how can we provide value? How do you work? What mm. do you want to use? Mm. Do you want to use Teams? Do you want to use Groups? Do you want to use SharePoint? You know, what works for your specific business unit? And then being able to empower them to, to, to leverage that. Uh, and then monitor, right? A and manage that still from an administration standpoint. But from my perspective, I, I just want to interject there because we're techies, right? We love the technical piece of it. We love working with things, we love fixing with things. We never liked dealing with users. So I think there's a big break in that cycle now because the last thing we want to do is, as technical people, is go and empower users. But that's not something we want to do. We want to go empower tech. We want to build stuff. We want to, do you know what I'm saying? So I think the role that you're talking about is a new role in some ways because that technical person doesn't want to teach people. But is it a new role or is it a is it a a pivot, right? Uh, yeah. You know, we've Well, that's what I'm saying. Is 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 it a pivot? Because so uh, a lot of people who I mean, cuz to use teams or teach people to use teams and gain value out of teams doesn't have to be technical. And it isn't it isn't technical. Yeah, it's not. But th think back to now in our world, right? When we, you know, and we still do them sometimes. But you migrations, customers mm. who saw the light of Exchange and, and decided, oh, you know, this Lotus Notes Domino platform that we were on just doesn't work for us anymore, right? What happened to admin Lotus Notes administrators ten years ago, right? Yeah. They either they look they would either look at it and go, okay, well, I can go and find one of the diminishing number of yes. companies still running notes and go apply my skills there or I can embrace this exchange thing and I can round out my, my skill set more and take some of the knowledge I know from notes and apply that in some way and, and become more rounded as an administrator, right? So you, you pivot your role and, and we're yeah, but seeing that... But you're still in tech. They, Cor they correct. to SharePoint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're still seeing that happened today, right? The role of, of technologists is changing and, and I think Justin made the point earlier that we're change agents now more than, you know, guys changing hard drives, right? And that's and I think I think I mean I, I, I see the point that you're making in that, you know, we're we love the technology. Um, but I think that the the most powerful use of um, the skill sets that we've acquired over the years of being techies yeah. is to be able to now take that and, and apply the change, help drive the change and help bring a, that adoption to the business. Which again comes back to your point. IT should have a seat at the table. Yeah, it, it, it's a, so that goes into, this is kind of a segue into my kind of second container or, or second uh, pillar that I see customers in, in their journey. And that is once you're already in Office 365, you're managing and monitoring the, the different workloads. You have end user experience monitoring. You, 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 you have a handle on the network. Uh, now you're looking at value. A and typically value is only realized when people change the way they work. Yeah. Uh, that's now IT is becoming the champion for that. They may not own it long term, mm -hmm. but 
you look at Office 365, it's different for everybody. It, we're, we're talking it, about it from the administrative persona. From the user persona, now it's not just Office, right? Now you're, you have, it's infused with AI and, and all these other services, Power Apps, Power BI. Now I can really use analytics to drive my business decisions within my business unit. I didn't do that before. That's a big change for me. Uh, from the IT side, I never had to support this before. It's a big change for me. Uh, but it's all about finding that value uh, that, that the organization needs for the purchase. Um, and, and that's, from what I've seen, championed by IT because now as those adoption efforts ramp up, they're able to quantify value and get that seat at the table because they're contributing to the bottom line. Uh, and from an IT perspective, we typically weren't privy to that before. We cared about the spindles and, and the mean time to resolution and mean time to failure on drives. That was our role. And, and that role still exists, but I would say it's a much smaller part. And, and the organizations that are winning and succeeding are the ones that are embracing that business value story and, and can pivot to include that. So what I think I'm hearing you say is that when we were on premises and we, as IT folks, were monitoring our stuff, our business value was negligible. It's on, it's off, reports what... It was abstracted away. Yes. Yeah. So are you saying that when I'm monitoring my cloud services, as an IT professional, I'm implicitly able to offer more business value back to my business just for the fact that I'm providing this cloud monitoring or monitoring my cloud services and then doing something with that output. Yeah, absolutely, because that, that customers that's just starting to their journey to the cloud, all they care about is an exchange online. I need to move mailboxes and day one when that end user comes in and they open Outlook, it should do what? It needs to connect and work. Um, and so they look at usage. Now, how many people are actually logging in? You know, we know that the usage reports that Microsoft provides uh, at this point uh, is very much, if you've logged in over you know, a time period, you're active. Mm. But usage really is, I, I would say, an insufficient proxy to value, right? Because there could be a person that logged in once, and there could be a person that had a thousand likes within a team's channel over the period of a month, who's getting more value and getting more work mm -hmm. done, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, you know, that story of not just monitoring the up-down that we're used to, but monitoring the consumption and, and monitoring how the community is leveraging the services that you're providing along and partnering with Microsoft. You know, it's a partnership. You know, how well is that going? So there, there, there's a part of the, the business value that maybe at, at the kind of the CIO, the exec level, was probably are always there. Uh, but from an admin standpoint, we weren't privy to. Hmm. But now we're an active participant in providing those metrics and telling that story because it comes down to a, a, a transformational shift in culture a lot of times for organizations. Um, and, and the way, and I'd be interested to get your guys' feedback, the way that I typically see this panning out 
is the formations of digital experience teams and user adoption teams. It's a different, uh, different word in each company, but it's digital transformation efforts, right? And it's more than just Office 365. Mm -hmm. It could be Windows 10, it could be sales, uh, it could be a, a lot of different platforms and technologies and solutions, but there's one group that kind of represents everybody, that, that's a, a cross-section of the organization, and all they care about is kind of creating that Apple store type experience, right? Of we want to create a service catalog and we want to bring that service catalog to you, uh, Mr. User, and empower you to get more work done. What do you need? What are you trying to do today? And we just didn't go to that level. It was, we can roll out Outlook through SCCM and upgrade and you know what you do with the features in Outlook, I don't care. You know, back in the day. So do you see that? Absolutely, and I think there's a, there's a message here too, right? Which, which is, the underlying message is that, again, we need to be kind of bringing the users on the journey here. And it's, it's not about throwing features at them and expecting them to just go, well, I'll take that one, I won't take that one, I won't take that one. Because once you start uh, educating them in, in what's available to them and how it impacts them, that's when you start to see that value come through. I heard someone from Microsoft say this week, actually, and I think it may have been Greg Taylor. Someone in, in, in one of the sessions I was in said, we're trying to not be as prescriptive about which product to use for which purpose, right? Because I think for the longest time, we've had this challenge where uh, you have Yammer, you have Teams, you have public folders, you have Office 365 groups, you have all of these mechaniz <laughs> mechanisms of things, excuse me, that do somewhat similar, somewhat overlapping functions, right? And, and customers with the old school thinking have, have gone, well, I need a matrix that says, for this, use this, for this, use that. If then that. Correct, right? And I don't think that we're in that world anymore now. We're in the world of, you know, we have younger generation of folks wh who, who want to work exclusively on IM. Um, we have to be able to, I think, take users on this journey and have them use the tool that works best for them, but educate them at the same time as to the benefits and the value of the tool set that they have available to them, right? And, and that's important because from an IT standpoint, think about funding for the year. N you now have all of these tool sets available. Mm. Shouldn't I, if I'm leading a large support organization, shouldn't I make sure that I have a really good understanding of what's being used, the percentage of adoption, how, how deep that integration is within the business units, you know, what's loved, what's not loved, because now that gives me the directive of where do I spend the funds for my team to skill them up so they can deliver great service when people inevitably call in to support asking questions, mm. right? Mm. So that, you know, that's one part that, that kind of uh, gets overlooked. The, the other part is just the sheer number of choices, mm. to your point. Um, there was a, a, a Gartner research note that was fascinating about uh, usage of Office 365. Um, can anybody guess what the average number of different features or workloads in Office 365 that the average user used on a monthly basis? <laughs> Probably One. not many. So seven. Seven, seven different wow. features in Office 365. That's more than I thought. And now, two that was two years ago. Two years later, it's 10. Mm. 
So you think about that mm. across the 10,000 seat organization. You, know, you yeah. still have a lot to do from an IT perspective to yep. not only monitor those services, monitor that end user experience, make sure the network connectivity is working and supporting your desired experience for your users wherever they are, uh, and that your support organization is skilled up. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the cost of an M365 E5, and someone says to you, out of your, uh, the last year's worth of adoption, we're using 10 features. That's yeah, not that's a, a scary that situation, right? See. Yeah, but but the, the other problem with that is that how many of the customers you work with, the organizations, organizations you've seen, don't want the hassle of, of the a la carte, like the licensing, and they just go, oh, we're just going to blanket it. We're just going to blanket M365 V5 across everyone, Yes. right? And so, can you imagine the lost, I mean, just the, uh, the cost, the, the price tag associated with giving someone who only uses OWA once a week an M365, M5, uh, you know, E5 license. It's a significant instead cost. Of F1. Exactly, instead of the fit for purpose license based on the persona within the organization that they have. And how would you find them? So that's that's great segue. Uh, that's the digital experience team's mission. Hmm. They're, they have the service catalog, and they're trying to find these emerging personas hmm. of who uses what, and, and are there pockets of people that are working the same way, hmm. communicating to the same people with the same tools, um, and, and being able to quantify that is huge. Hmm. And there could be a negative slant, uh, or can I kind of view as a negative slant, as we want to right-size the license, to contain cost and save cost. Mm -hmm. And that was always the number one reason for moving to the cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, that Gartner research note goes on to say that now the number one reason why people move to the cloud is to unlock new ways of working yes. for the users. So now it, it's really not, how do I save money? If I have these E3s, can I drive additional revenue in the business? Can I meet organizational objectives I, if I, bring that service catalog to that user, I empower them, train them, get them skilled up, they become an evangelist. How does that impact the bottom line? Mm. Are they making decisions faster? Are they reaching mm. out to customers directly with Skype or, uh, Teams meetings? You know, mm. Are they booking meetings? There's, there's a lot of these scenarios that can be unlocked that will just drive efficiency in the organization. And I think, you know, and I use this. I've used this in the past, and it may be just at some, you know, talks or whatever I've done. But I, I worked with a customer in Australia a couple of years ago who, they're a very large retail operation, and they had a very large number of, in fact, very most of their workforce work, you know, in warehouse situations, factory floors, warehouses, do picking, packing, that type of stuff, right? Uh, and historically, those those guys had pretty much access to very limited email. That was it. Got email, and they went through the process of, and it it took them a lot of time, mapping out these personas, building out these usage personas. And they, and they looked at this and they said, well, hang on, we can, we can see some value here if we, if we shift. Instead of just giving someone the thing that they use today, let's see how we can drive value to the business. And what they did was, the payroll cycle runs every two weeks. So every two weeks, they have to mail, traditional postage stamp mail, pay stubs to every single one of those employees. The cost associated with the postage on that and printing and ink supplies and all of that was fairly significant. So what they did was they said, well, hang on. Instead of doing that, 
how about we give these guys a digital way to get to their pay stuff? Because yes, we all want, want to be able to reference that information, but we don't all, always need every hard copy of every single one, right? So give the user the access to it digitally, and they can then print it if they need it. And by making that shift, it pretty much paid for the entire deployment of Office 365 just in savings on postage, right? But that, that business leader that was managing that organization probably did not have the technical skill set to look at that problem and say, hmm, how can, I, how can mm -hmm. Office 365 help me here? That was an IT-led decision, and that is directly providing IT quantifying value to the organization. Absolutely, and you know, to Warren's point, we love technology, we love geeking out on stuff, but that doesn't mean that in this new world that we can't use those skills. In fact, it's now more important than ever for you to have an understanding of the technology, but then to be able to look at, a, at the business and say, you know what, we have this need, there are some technical things here that can, that can do it, right? I, I don't believe you can make those decisions if you don't have any techni te technical background. I, I mean, I, th I think the, 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 the deepness, right? What, is, what does Greg say? Breep, right? You need to be broad and deep at the same time. You th the level of depth that you need in the, in the technology is becoming less and less important. And uh, the level of breadth across, I think that is becoming more important than ever. Yeah. I, I, think, I think we were conditioned, at least uh, uh, something happened to me probably about 12 years ago uh, that I, I still remember to this day. I, I was kind of in this cycle as a consultant, you know, you kind of get dropped in, either there's an exchange problem and you're fixing it or there's a migration and you're in there to kind of get started and make sure that it's working and then kind of hand it off to somebody and move on to the next one, rinse and repeat. But you never stop and think, why is this important? Like, I, I know that email is important. It's a tier one application, and everybody's going to be behind your back when they can't access email, but why, right? So I, I was going through, I was working for, uh, to perform a migration for a large airline in the U.S., and I was talking to a couple different business units to, to get the migration plan together, and I was talking with the flight operations team, and they were adamant that uh, the mailbox, the mailbox can move, but I still need to have access from my BlackBerry to my mailbox. And, and in kind of unpacking that, it was the flight operations crew were communicating with pilots on the tarmac through the BlackBerry. Wow. And so if there was a cut in communication, they needed to know so they could set expectations on other forms of communication. A and that was just stunning to me. One, that that was how <laughs> the device they choose to communicate. But imagine if I would have just went cowboy and moved those mailboxes and broke that for them. There could have been real struggle. You know, that there was a real reality and consequence to that. And you never think about it. So, I, I mean, there, there, there's all, you, I think we're being forced to think about and answer the whys. Yes. And we never had to before. Yeah. One, one thing that I, I think is interesting is we talk about value uh, and, and that usage doesn't necessarily correlate to value. And, and early on when you're migrating and, and you're trying to set up a, a, a monitoring solution for Office 365, 
you want to just make sure that everything's working and you don't get tickets. And it's that uh, kind of usage scenario. Um, what I'm seeing is while Exchange and OneDrive for Business is loved, uh, I, I think I saw that about 87% of Office 365 users were using OneDrive. When they were asked about value of those workloads, which ones do they value the most? OneDrive, for instance, uh, out of a, a scale of 100, it was 11. Wow. So you, you can look at you know, kind of adoption metrics and say, hey, this is widely used, but it kind of doesn't always mean that the business is getting value. So yeah, being able- There's a pop-up, it says, would you like to sync your stuff? You say yeah. yes. I mean, it just, it, it happens automatically, so it doesn't mean that the person's actually enjoying it or using it. Yep. What was, uh, what was Tracy's uh, sort of um, take on that? Uh, adoption is feeding your kids broccoli Cons consumption <laughs> is feeding your kids broccoli, them enjoying it, and then coming back for more, right? Yes. And I, I'm, I'm going to use that from now on forever because that's just the best possible way to kind of, you know, describe that situation and the difference between the two. Mm. She has a great way of doing that. Mm. She's incredible when it comes to that. So I think let's take it one step back is the introduction was like really short. So you're, you were an exchange dude. I was. And what happened? You had this like... <laughs> where, did, where did life go so wrong yeah, for you? No, no, no. It's, like, it's like, oh, you, you, I can't perf mine any, anymore. That's it. Let me become a CTO of a company. Or at least YE now, right. uh, number one. And um, number two, I mean, is it, a, is it a place that you see yourself staying? Not at E now, but I'm saying in the, that sort of space. So and, and before you answer that, you're not just some exchange guy, you're actually a highly certified exchange guy. I, I, I did, I, I, I did. So my, my kind of story was, I was always that kid that liked to build things. Um, you know, when I was very young, I took a job as a construction, working in construction, because I wanted to learn how houses were built, because I wanted to, I, I was fascinated with AutoCAD, and I wanted to design houses. So I need to know how they're built, right? Um, I, I went through that and realized that architects, at least early on, don't make a lot of money. Um, this was in the mid 90s and you could make more money than anything if you became MCS certified. Yes. And I thought, well, maybe I can design IT systems. Uh, so that kind of launched me I into the career. I, I loved exchange. I, I was always fascinated with communication mm. and, and the, the seemingly simplicity of it, but the complexity underneath. Uh, so I, I had the good fortune to spend a lot of time, work with a, a, a lot of great companies like uh, Verizon, EA Sports, AAA, uh, and hone my skills. Uh, so after about 15 years of consulting experience, I got to the point where I was tired of using other vendors' software to migrate because nobody's software was perfect mm. and I always had to complement them with my own scripts. And being a 15 year veteran at the time, you know, if, if I could design something, I would do it better. It's easy, they just don't get it. Yeah. So a, a <laughs> <laughs> an option <laughs> opened up um, with a migration company where you know, I was able to be part of bringing uh, a, a tenant to tenant solution on the market. And, and it, I was able to draw on my experience to realize that the distinctive competency of that was not just 
migrating and moving the bits. A lot of people do that. But that integration story, rewriting addresses when you have multiple uh, SMTP addresses and multiple tenants and, and Contoso and Tailspin all need to send as litware. You know, how do you do that in Office 365? Um, <laughs> Not well. My <laughs> migrating public folders to groups, you know, that, that was a big use case. Uh, you can do that? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, th those it's were some like of it's the. About time, hey. <laughs> yeah, we, we we don't use groups anymore, right? It's teams. Yeah. Uh, it's teams. <laughs> yeah, a group is a substrate for a team. Yep, yep. SharePoint and OneDrive are. Uh, so, are do you think you succeeded? I love what I do because I'm not on call. I don't get those calls in the middle of the night. I get to talk to customers and prospects all the time and listen to their pain points. And to what you said earlier, I'm able to draw on that experience that I had years ago and understand and kind of synthesize, okay, you're saying this, but this is really kind of the outcome of this mm -hmm. over here. Uh, and, and I'm able to solve that uh, and, and build things from a software perspective. So it's extremely fulfilling. It's extremely difficult as well because you know every customer is different. Uh, so what may work well with one customer, you know, may not work so well with, with another. But uh, it, it's a great space to be because Office 365 and Microsoft are moving so fast. It's the best part. You always are innovating and always working on the next big thing. Mm. It's the best. But it's tiring. <laughs> as well. It is very tiring. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, is there anything, since we're coming to the, the, the top of the hour and we need to start closing the episode, how do people find you on the socials? How do you want to be found? And is there anything that you'd like to plug in terms of a personal or corporate URL of any sort? I, I would just say if uh, you are struggling with trying to define what you need to monitor, what you need to know about, what level of visibility do you really need to have as you transition to Office 365, uh, Enal Software, uh, enalsoftware.com. Uh, that is what we live and breathe. We talk with organizations of all sizes. Uh, we simply give you that visibility to know what you don't know. And if you're already in the cloud and you're struggling with that definition of value, uh, that is where you know we are spending most of our time in, in uh, from an innovation standpoint, and then also from uh, solving problems for our customers. And Justin, how do people find Justin? Ju people can find Justin on Twitter at, at NT Excellence. Going back to my NT days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my very small consulting company, uh, and, and uh, on LinkedIn as well. Sweet. Yes, well, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for uh, letting me join you in this conversation. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc. <laughs>